Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being, reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Server Member Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Das, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. This podcast is a manifestation of our interconnected lives, and we wish to keep it free at all costs, if you can say that. So, we are dependent on the generosity of you, our listeners. So, please go to mindpodnetwork.com slash kd, and either use the donate button, or just bookmark the Amazon portal. We receive a small percentage of however much you paid for whatever you bought. Nothing extra for you, but a tangible contribution, if small, for us. You could also sign up for a free trial with the voluminous audible.com. We get something out of that, too. We thank you for the support and allowing us to continue presenting Krishnadasa's excellent talks. Yeah, hi. Hello. Great pleasure to meet you. 
There's a question I wanted to ask you. It's rather a convoluted question because I'm a rather convoluted person. Well, I'm not very intelligent, so make it simple. <laughs> okay, I'll try. I first came across you in that um, film, I think, Cultivating Compassionate Awareness. You said something about um, surrender, which really touched me. And then I read your book, and you said something about willpower, and I thought that really hit home. And the thing is that superficially those things seem contradictory. They seem to. Yeah. And I thought about it a mm. little bit. And it seemed to me what prevents me from doing both, either, is fear. I mean, I, I tried to control all sorts of things that I can't control. Rewrite the past, control the future, mm -hmm. even sort out the world to make it predictable according to some ideology, philosophy. You mean the world? This is your fault? <laughs> I've been looking for you. <laughs> so I try to control all sorts of things I can't control. But the things I can control, the things that, uh, the tasks that life hands to me, mm -hmm. again, I shy away from mm -hmm. through fear. Yeah. So my question is, it's quite a big question is, yeah. how do I overcome fear? Well, in two words or less. No. I was in the jungle with this old Baba that I told you about, this 163-year-old Baba. And all of this, he never seemed to do anything. He just sat around, you know, and um, on a little beach chair with a kind of towel around his head, you know. And, he, and one day he looked at me, and he like zeroed in on me. He kind of went, and he said, you have to develop willpower. And my first thought was, willpower? What do I need that for? Now, if that, you know, that should be, never mind. Anyway, then he saw what I thought. So he did something and he showed me what he was seeing in me, right? And I saw that I was tripping myself up every step of the way, every day for one reason or another. Fear being one of them, but there's a whole shitload of them. Why just stop there? And that willpower simply meant being able to do what I wanted to do, to do what I had to do. And that out of fear of failing and fear of being judged, etc., etc., I wouldn't allow myself to get involved in things, to go after the things I wanted in life. And then I saw that there was only one life. There wasn't like spiritual life over here and worldly life over here. And that this lack of ability to, to, to really enter into things was affecting my life across the board. I wasn't going to be able to meditate or chant or do anything either if I couldn't go after in worldly life, daily life the things I wanted. It was the same mechanism, right? And just seeing that so clearly changed a lot of things. I mean, it's not like all of a sudden I could leap off of tall buildings in a single bound, you know. But I began to see that I was my worst enemy and I was tripping myself up. And then I began to be able to look at that and... Uh, start to work with some of those issues.
So whatever way you can find to work with those issues, you can work with those issues, whether it's therapy, meditation, asana practice, talking, something. I, I did a lot of therapy at one point, a lot of counseling, because I had no way of, of I didn't know who, I, who could I talk to about this stuff, right? It was just, I was so tense inside that I couldn't, it was affecting everything I did. So I found a therapist and um, uh, I spent some time talking to her for a few years and it helped a lot. I would say something that was really charged for me, you know, really, really charged. And I would say something and she wouldn't react. You know, she had no reaction whatsoever. And I went, so I reached into the closet and pulled out a bigger one, you know, no reaction. You know, so I got a dump truck and I filled the dump truck with this stuff and I brought it in. No reaction. This it really freed me from a lot of self-judgments that I had just over this process of opening up and kind of saying these things that I wouldn't even admit to myself that I felt, you know. Really, it was very powerful. And that took willpower, right? So, the, the ability to deal with any of these things, fear, shame, guilt, selfishness, all the stuff that we have, the ability to deal with it comes as a result of practice. Only practice gives us the ability to let go a little bit. The more you let go, the more you can relax. The more you let go, the more you can relax. The more you let go, the less the stuff owns you. But it's not going to happen overnight. But one step at a time. That one step at a time takes willpower. You don't take two steps at a time. You take one step at a time, and then another step. Each step is an act of will, an act of just moving yourself in the direction. You know, the word for willpower in Hindi is icha shakti. Icha means desire. Shakti means power. So it means the ability to manifest your desires. Now, we're usually told that what we want is not good for us. That's what my mother told me. Wouldn't it be strange if it turned out that what we want is what we're supposed to have? That it's okay to have things? To satisfy our desires? We're in physical bodies. There are certain things we need breath, air, food, and sex. And companionship to some degree is a part of being human. What's in the way of all those things? Our own stuff. And how, what we're taught about ourselves by Western culture and Western religions. Right? So it takes a tremendous amount of willpower to begin to overcome the programming that, that's been put in us. Happiness, joy, peace, love, everything is right there. But if we've been taught to hate ourselves by our parents who were taught to hate themselves, by their parents who were taught to hate themselves, by their parents, it takes a lot of willpower to overcome that 
and a lot of wisdom, and that comes from practice, only from practice. You can't pick yourself up like this, no matter how hard you try. That's like trying to figure it out up here. You can't. You have to get some perspective. You have to get some, you have to get a little pulley, you know, and hang, and this will pull yourself up, like this way. You have to get some leverage for this stuff. And the only way to do that is practice. Whatever practice means to you, that's what you should do. When I left India, I asked my guru, how can I serve you in America? I was completely freaked out that he was sending me home. I've been walking around India barefoot in a red dress for two years. So you can imagine, I didn't even know what I would wear. I hadn't worn a pair of pants for two years. And he's sending me back to New York. So I'm sitting there and I say, I'm thinking, I've got to ask him what to do. And then I said, shut up. Don't you say anything. What's wrong with you, you miserable shit? Have some faith. What are you talking about faith? You sent me back to America. I don't know what I'm going to do. Shut up. I told you. Finally, I said, Baba, how can I serve you in America? Which was pure bullshit. I didn't want to serve him. I was asking, what do I do? What do I do? And he, of course, he knew. He just laughed. He said, ha, you ask about service. It's not service. He said, do what you want. My guru told me to do what I want. I hadn't gotten laid in three years. And he knew that. He knew what I wanted. I know what I wanted. And he was telling me, go do what you want. How could that be spiritual? How could that be? So, that was the greatest instruction I ever got in my life. Do what you want. Because then, I had to find out what I wanted. And that wasn't easy. It took me 20 years after he died, after he sent me back to America, to start singing. To really start singing. 20 years. He could have said, go forth and spread the word. <laughs> yeah, but I was, in India I was singing. Then when I came back to America and he died, then I really crashed and I didn't really sing with people. I would sing a little bit alone, but it was kind of like rubbing salt in a wound, you know. I was so emotional that I had lost my guru. That's the way I felt. That I lost the connection. So, in 1994, I was very depressed, very unhappy. My life was a big mess. And I was standing in my room in New York City. I had an apartment at the time. And all of a sudden, I was, I really, I was struck. And I understood completely that if I did not sing with people, then I would never be able to clean out the dark corners and shadows of my own heart, which was the only stuff that was causing me unhappiness. I had to sing with people in order for that to happen. It really pissed me off. I didn't want to do that. I was happy hiding in my room. <laughs> really. Which is why I laugh when people ask me, I want to lead kirtan with people. I want to share the light. I, I just like, what the fuck are you talking about? 
I can't understand that. You won't go ahead. Be, you, want, this is, you think this is performance? This is entertainment? A career? Get out of here. This is the only rope that this drowning man was thrown. Period. That's what it is. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, people ask me all the time. I, you know, I try to be nicer than I just was, but I'm not usually very successful. This is, this is what I do to save my ass. This is the only thing. And I'm so grateful to have this practice. Without it, I'm dead meat. I'm telling you. Without it, I'm dead meat. So this is what saves me every day. It straightens my ass out. It gives me perspective. It, it frees me from whatever bullshit I'm caught in. Every day, again and again. It doesn't, it's not like one Sri Ram Jai Ram and that's it. I'm free for the rest of my life. No, you've got to keep doing it. But if he had told me to sing, okay, I would have never been able to do it. I don't know if you understand that. I would have been doing it because he said to. So it wouldn't have been coming from the same place in me. The place of absolute despair. And knowing that this is what I have to do. It's not a choice. It's like breathing. You don't choose to breathe. You breathe or you die. That's what this is. And when it becomes that for you, whatever practice you're doing, then you know you're on the path and everything's going to be cool. And until then, look for what works for you. Find out what you want to do. And then go for it. Um, yeah, I wonder if you have any suggestions or thoughts on how you bring that practice into your work. Let's just try to bring the practice into our life, you know? The practice itself has effects. You don't have to consciously bring it in to work. It's not a willful thing. If you sit down every day and do 10 minutes of something, that's going to reverberate through your whole life, gradually. It's not something you can, like, push a button and say, okay, now I'm going to treat everybody in work as if they're God. Well, first of all, First of all, they are God, and you're just not seeing it. So the thing is, how do you see it? By doing your practice. It's not a mind trip. You've got to get over thinking this is something that you can do with your willful mind. You can't. What you can do is sit your ass down and practice. That's the one thing you can do. You can't change the way you think because thoughts are coming from way out on the ocean into this moment. They've already been created by our own previous actions. And then, oh, now I'm thinking. You know, one time I took LSD. Or at least the time I'm talking about. <laughs> and I was, I was lying on my bed in my room, completely blitzed. I mean, just... So happy. So, see, when I took acid, it made me like a kid. Because I was such, I, 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 
my growing up was so unhappy. I never had a chance to just be a stupid, happy kid. So when I took acid, the first thing that happened to me is I became a stupid, happy kid. And I was just like, ah, this is okay. And I played with my dog for like three weeks, you know? <laughs> Out on the lawn, and the snow's falling, and it's all rainbow colors, and it's so great. So I was lying on my bed, and I was just experiencing something. I can't even tell you what it is, but it was wonderful feeling, a wonderful feeling. And then I, I, I kind of felt something, and I started like looking around. And way out in the distance, I mean, over the horizon, like somewhere north of Mars or something, I kind of, I saw something. Remember that Steve Martin thing where he walks across the stage and he goes, what's that? And he goes, what is that? He says it 450 different ways. It's hilarious. What is that? <laughs> That's what this was like, you know? So I was like, what? What is that? And I tried to ignore it, and I couldn't ignore it. And I really felt like it was coming closer, you know? And I kept... I couldn't see anything, but I just felt this thing coming. What is this, you know? And it come closer and closer and closer and closer. And I went, ah! And it came over me. And I was thinking. It was a thought. I had been living in the world where there wasn't any thought whatsoever. And I, this thought came from somewhere in the distance. And it came over me, and then I was thinking, I'm thinking. And I was thinking for a while, and then it started to leave. I don't know, don't go, don't go, don't go. It was gone, I wasn't thinking, there was no thought whatsoever, just space, just like the sky, open sky. You know how the sky, wide open, beautiful, free, clear, ah, that's the way it was. And then, what is that? Oh, no. And another one came, and I was thinking. Then they started coming faster and faster and faster. And then finally, all there was here was a flow of thought, which is our normal state. We never experience the space between the thoughts. But there actually is space between the thoughts. But we don't. Our minds are too gross to become aware of that, to be aware of that. So through the grace of that chemical, I was living in this space with absolutely no thought whatsoever. Everything was direct, direct experience. There was no stuff about it. It was amazing. And then, of course... That was, that's what we call coming down. <laughs> coming back down into this realm where all there is is thoughts and emotions all day long. And this is why entertainment is such a big business. Because it's the only way we get any relief from the obsessiveness of the way we think about ourselves all the time. By watching other people live on a screen. 
and laughing and joking and then going home and feeling miserable again. That's the entertainment business. Go to L.A., it's so great. Everybody talks to you like, hi, how are you? How are you doing? But all they're thinking is, what kind of impression am I making on you now? Because it's entertainment. That's why entertainment is such a big deal. All kinds of entertainment, because it, it temporarily releases us from the obsessive heaviness of our constant thinking. Is anybody in here who doesn't think? Please, let me know. Good. I mean, not good. I'm not happy about that. So when we chant, that's why the way I present chanting is very simple. It's not religious, it's not holy, it's not... You don't have to believe anything, join anything, wear any kind of special clothes. You simply start chanting. And then what happens? You notice you're not paying attention. So what do you do? You come back to the singing. Do you realize how incredible a moment that is? You don't, because it happens kind of just, uh, okay, back around. You don't realize what happened, but something pulled you out of awareness, out of the sky, out of being here, and started you thinking. And then you recognize, a part of you recognize that. Maybe it's because the person singing next to you is sings so badly that it just keeps grabbing your attention. Praise the Lord, because that brought you out of the stupidness of your thought and brought you back here so you could pay attention again. Do you realize how hard it is to pay attention to anything? It's okay, you're cooking an omelet but you're watching TV, listening to music, talking on the phone. And the omelet gets made. You don't even remember how you did it. You're driving your car. You're talking on the phone, listening to the music, yelling at the kids in the back seat. You don't even know how you got where you're going. You paid no attention whatsoever. How did you stay on the right side of the road? You could not prove to yourself that you know how you did that. We're so gone all the time. And the whole thing thing is somehow to get here. And so, it's very simple. You don't have to think about it. Unfurl your brows immediately. You don't have to think about it. So when we chant, it's not about trying to make anything happen. It's recognizing that you're not paying attention and coming back. You might, if you're really paying attention, you will see that you'll be gone maybe a hundred times in a minute. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Just watch, pay attention, you'll see. But every time you come back and let go of whatever kind of thought it was, like, wow, this is really great. Big deal, it's just a thought. Oh, how long is this going to go on? Just a thought. When you do a practice that saving grace is you can always let go of what you're stuck in and come back to the object of attention. That's what practice is about. You establish an object of attention. You make a deal with yourself that for the next X period of time, what you're going to do is pay attention to that thing. 
And then that's when you begin to notice that it's almost impossible. It's very humbling, especially when you meet these great saints who have overcome all these obstacles, overcome all the attachment to thought, and are simply relaxed in the present moment, just like the sun in the sky. It's mind-blowing. Really mind-blowing. And I've had the great good luck to run into quite a few of these beings over the years. And I don't think it's helped me at all. (laughs) But at least I know what's possible now, but I can only get my ass in gear and do some practice. Who is it? Somebody last night asked me, um, is it always going to be like this? Am I going to always be so frustrated and unhappy? And I said, sweetheart, I've been doing practice for 40 years. I'm still frustrated and unhappy. But I don't care. (laughs) That's the difference. I don't give a shit. He's unhappy today. Big fucking deal. Get a life. Who cares? So what happens is, what's really happening is your center of gravity is deepening. Where you sit in yourself is deepening so that those thoughts that tortured you, they may still come, but they don't torture you the same way they always tortured you. This takes time. This is not overnight. Yeah, you may have a nice hit and get a little blissful high because chanting will do that, but you still have to go home and clean the toilet. You still have to go home and live. And as soon as you let go of your center of gravity, you completely forget about becoming aware. Being aware. Which is why another practice to try to keep a mantra going during the day. But that's not so easy. That's not so easy. So we have to develop, begin to develop this ability to even want to be here a little bit. But of course, if you're here today, It must mean there's nothing really good on television. Oh, no, now we all have DVRs. It doesn't matter, right? Did you read about how now they do a whole 10-week or a whole year of of a television show, and they release it at the same time so you can watch it, you know, for 30 hours straight, you know? Oh, man. 30 hours guaranteed where you don't have to be here for one second. Luckily, there's a pause button, so you can go to the bathroom. Yeah. All right, so any questions about any of this? Any statements? Yeah, over there. Hold on. Hi. It's nice to be with you again. Um, I absolutely accept, believe, and hopefully understand what you're saying. And that, of course, is where I want to be. Can you explain it to me? No, no, I don't want to be. Okay. But I want to have the, the ability to be you, if that's what I would want to do. But, um, you know, just that, that ability to find those moments and, as you said, you know, to be depressed and not care. I mean, I can sometimes do that. 
Mm-hmm. And, and so my question is, um, how does a neurotic Jewish boy from Brooklyn... Manhattan. Oh, you weren't talking about me? <laughs> I mean, you know, how do you, how did you, have you? You know, you go to India, you spend time with Baba, you see, you know, you see God, you understand um, things you've never understood before. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there a moment when, when one gets it, or is, are there little glimmers, or... When what? what there's there, a moment when? When, when, you, when you suddenly go to the flip side of, of, of coming out of all of these thoughts, and, and realizing that, okay, you may have those thoughts, but they don't need to depress you. you know? Yeah, uh, that's a, it's a quality of practice. It's a result of practice. You can't talk yourself out of states of mind. Well, give it five minutes a day, that's all. Do five minutes a day of actually committing yourself to doing the practice. I'm serious. You think I'm, I'm kidding? Five minutes a day, oh, I can do that. You can't do that. Guaranteed you can't do that. You know, you'll start, you maybe do it for three days, and then uh, I'll do it when I get home later. It won't happen. If you can do five minutes a day where you actually turn the phone off and just be with yourself, and then maybe add some repetition of the name, or maybe watch your breath come in and out, something really exciting like that. Just five minutes is going to change your life because you will gradually start to long for that feeling of being unengaged and released from the crazy flow of thought that runs our lives because we want that. And truthfully, that's where we live, underneath all those thoughts, which is why we want it. We want to go back home to, what, to our own being. That's, that's why we long for that. That's where we really are. We're not out here in our thoughts. That's like birds that came and pulled us away and then dropped us in the middle of nowhere. So a few minutes every day, really, you have no idea what kind of changes it's going to make in your life. But you know what? There's only one catch. You have to do it. If you don't do it, guess what? Nothing happens. And that is another guarantee. But then stuff happens in life that forces us to do that. You know, We come across difficult situations. And how and if we live through them has a lot to do with what work we've done on ourselves, either in this life or another life. Thank you for listening to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. We really appreciate your support and hope you'll continue that support by going to mindpodnetwork.com kd and clicking on the donate button or using our Amazon.com portal for all of your purchases. Thank you. Namaste.